This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I am your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 285, and I'm talking with Jess Cole. Jess is a four-time NCAA champion. She ran for the Oregon Ducks. She recently signed with Nike, and she'll be training out in Oregon under coach Pete Julian. Over this summer, though, she set three new Australian records. So she's originally from Australia. She set an Australian record in the 5,000 meters in a time of 1443, in the 1500 meters in a time of four minutes, 0.42, and a record in the 3,000 meters, eight minutes and 36 seconds. She's officially been selected to be on the Olympic team for Australia next year in the 2021 Tokyo Olympics in the 5,000. And she's going to be working to be selected for the 1500 as well. So lots of exciting times for Jess as she starts her pro career. And when we chatted, she was still over in Australia, but I know she's going to be heading back to the United States sometime soon to start training with her team in Oregon. All right, friends, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Gooder. These are the best sunglasses on the market for any runner or active person in your life. Actually, anybody at all. You don't even have to be an active person. These sunglasses are just great. They are durable. They fit well. They don't slip around and slide around when you're running, and they're super cute. There's a million different styles to choose from. Right now, they have a really cute holiday collection out that you're going to want to check out. And the great thing about Gooder is their price point is really, really good. We're not talking super expensive shades here. We're talking like $20, $30. So get festive, get yourself some holiday shades because we all need something exciting and snazzy <laughs> to lift us up this coming December. To finish off this crazy year of 2020, I for sure will be rocking the Christmas shades. That is definitely gonna be happening. You all can save on their products when you go to gooder.com slash another. Use the code ANOTHER and you'll get 15% off your order. Cool. All right. If you love this show and you haven't left us a rating and review yet, make sure you head over to iTunes and make that happen. That would just be a huge, huge help in new listeners finding the show. So thank you all who have already done so. Cool. Well, enjoy my conversation with Jess Hole. Well, today on the podcast, I am so excited to have Jess Hole on the show. Welcome to the show, Jess. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. Uh, we're talking to Jess, and she's in Australia this morning. So it's uh, 5 p.m. my time, 8 a.m. your time. So we're on two totally different yeah. parts of our day. Yeah, you've had your... Uh, well, I had your day yesterday. I'm a day ahead of you. Okay, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, what are you doing? What are you about to do to start your day? Yeah, so I'm going to talk to you, and then um, I have another little media thing for a TV company back here at midday, so I'll just kill some time in between, and um, then I'll go for a run and get back in the gym this afternoon, just gradually starting to build the workload back up after my end-of-season break. 
you have had quite a year uh, in the midst of a crazy year, right? In 2020. Yeah. So congratulations <laughs> on everything that you've accomplished. Thank you. Thanks. It's been a great year. I, uh, I'm pretty lucky that Pete was able to help me refocus when, when Tokyo was postponed and we were knew we weren't going to have that this year. Uh, we kind of just were able to reset the goals and try and run really fast. And I think I had time on my side in that respect too. Being 23 is like, I hadn't done anywhere near like what I was, what I'm aiming for in this sport. So I think uh, it was an opportunity to kind of chase some faster times versus being ready for an Olympic final. Uh, so an extra year for me was uh, able to be rejigged into something more positive. So it's uh, definitely a very lucky position to be in. Yeah. Had you yeah. been, I mean, really, the Olympic trials would have been here and gone and you have this whole extra year to develop your skills and your speed and all that. Yeah, yeah. I'm lucky with uh, being in, being Australian. I had actually ran my 5,000 meter trials That's before right. COVID hit. Duh. Because so, we're all like our summer season is so much earlier. So I had run the 5,000 in February um, and was on the team for that. Uh, but our 1500 trial hadn't been run and it still has not been run. Uh, it won't be until April next year. So that's a long time in between both those races. So I definitely am glad that I'll have had the extra time if I need to compete in the trial. Um, extra time getting ready and being ready for a championship style race is a good thing. But I'm not too sure. It depends if I come back to the US before that. I probably won't compete at the national championships, which doubles as the trial due to like the current quarantine situation yeah uh to come into Australia you've got to quarantine for two weeks so if I can get back to the U.S. um before that I probably would stay put given the situation in the world right now but uh we'll just wait and see as the year unfolds what what it looks like you can't really plan month to month right now so no <laughs> you can't wait and see. <laughs> yeah okay so tell us Explain to us what the selection process is in Australia for making the Olympic team. Yeah, so at the moment, the current criteria, if it stays the same after COVID, uh, when the qualifying period reopens in December, it is anyone who wins the national championship. And if they have the standard, um, they're an automatic nomination to the Olympic committee. Okay. And then, um, but otherwise, it's if you finish second or third or you don't have the standard at the national championships and you would get it later on, uh, you're a discretionary selection. So one guaranteed spot really, um, and then two discretionary selections, uh, which will be named in about June, early July. So you broke three national records this summer yeah. in the fifth, the 15, the 5k and the 3000, but those weren't national championship races. No, they were just Diamond Leagues or World Challenge meets that were happening over in Europe. So okay. I was one of the lucky Australians that was able to travel because it's kind of right now you have to apply for an exemption to even leave the country Okay, because uh, our border is completely closed. So I was lucky that I was able to get over there and get in some fast races and couldn't take national championships, but I could try and run the record. So, yeah. Okay. Ah, oh, so awesome. You're so on fire. Um, tell me how you felt about, you know, you gave up that fifth year of edu eligibility to go pro, um, yes. not knowing obviously that COVID was going to happen. Like you don't know these things. So no. yeah. Yeah. Tell me how you're kind of processing all that. Like now that all this has happened, are you like, I guess that's a good thing that I did that even better <laughs> thing. Like what's going through your mind? 
Oh yeah, definitely. I think I went to Awestruck and especially Indoor Nationals that's cancelled. I was definitely very happy with my decision to have gone pro last year because I didn't have any cross country or indoor eligibility. So I would have sat out mm. the whole year only for outdoor to get cancelled. Oh gosh. So I'm pretty I'm definitely very lucky, but I think timing is a pretty important thing and sometimes things just happen for a reason. So last year going pro at the time was nothing in preparation of a sorry my puppy's just barking it's okay it's okay um <laughs> yeah uh, in nothing in preparation for a pandemic because no one could be prepared for that but um yeah just in terms of overall I think I was pretty lucky to have made that decision last year and uh, I know if I had gone back I we would have figured things out but um for long term I think it was definitely the right move at the right time just to not have to be in the midst of the pandemic right now is even more of a blessing. Yeah, March rolled around. You were probably like, "Whoa, glad I'm not yeah. like just sitting that, sitting that out." Yeah, wow. Yeah, it was strange to watch too because I know how much goes into getting kids to indoor nationals, and then they're there, and a meet was taken away from them. Like I can't imagine you would have just felt like there was a big thing missing from your life for a little while. Yeah, I know. I thought a lot about those those kids that were seniors and it was their last yeah. year to compete in any sport really. I mean, it's just it's got to it had to be so hard. Yeah, oh, definitely. It's definitely like losing your senior season, like I don't know. I feel like there's always this whole uh thing while you're going through college, it's like, okay, I've got time like yeah. when I'm a senior or when I'm a fifth year, like you do your time as a younger athlete and then you kind of think that senior season's going to be the one. Um I can't imagine what it was like for the kids that had that momentum and then just had it taken away from them. It's kind of, kind of very sad, which is, yeah, it's just, um, you've got to rebound. And, uh, like you see, Danny Jones, uh, she went pro and still mm-hmm. is finding a way to have her options out there. So, and she got to race an outdoor season with the boss women. And so there's a ways to rejig it, but, um, definitely at the time it would have been pretty heartbreaking. Oh, for sure. That's a really good way to put it too. Because you go into college with the talent that you have, but you mm-hmm. you go in to develop those skills so yeah. that you get to that senior season and you're like, this is when I'm going to, I'm going to take the titles. I'm going to do the things Absolutely. I came here to do. Yeah. Oh. And then to have that like long-term picture taken away, like must be very tough. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. if anybody follows, if anybody listening is someone who follows uh, college athletics in the running world, they they will know your name. You're a four-time NCAA champion. And um, you are coached by Marisa Powell, which goes down as yeah. one of my favorite interviews on this podcast. I would tell you, I listened to your interview with Marisa whilst I was getting ready for the 5K in Monaco. Like oh. before I ran the national record, I just had it on in the background and I, I loved it. I was like listening to it and I'm just listening to Marisa talk and I'm like, that's exactly Marisa. Like, Aww. yeah, everything you talked about, I was like, wow, this is great. And people, you're showing the rest of the world how great she is. That's so, so awesome to hear. And it probably, you tell me, but was it comforting <laughs> to hear your old coach's voice, like as you were preparing for such a big yeah. event? Oh, definitely. Just like, it takes your mind off it. Like, uh, and even just like little things that she says while in the podcast, like, um, how she would tell us to certain things we can control is like our attitude and our effort. And I'm like, okay, that's what I've got to do tonight. Like, that's all I need to do. And um, she was the one of the first people to text me after every time I raced this season, whether it was a Diamond League or just a smaller meet. Like, she was always following along and keeping up to date with how I was going overseas. And, yeah, she's just a, a great 
friend nowadays. Um, she was an awesome coach at the time, but she's a lifelong friend now. So it's, she's been a great, great influence. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. When I talked to her, I was like, oh my gosh, I had, I didn't have any expectations going into that interview because I really didn't know much about Marisa. You, she's not yeah. covered as much as you would think she is, right? No, she's definitely like, she's a hands-on coach, but she doesn't want to be in the spotlight. Like yeah. she wants that to be on the athletes. So she, she definitely palms off the media attention to the athletes that she's coaching, but she should definitely be a lot more in the forefront of a lot of people. I think she's got a lot to add to a lot of value to add to the sport. If, um, if she was willing to kind of put herself out there a little bit more, but, um, that's, that's Marisa for you. She's so humble. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I was thinking this when I interviewed her, I was like, if I had a daughter going to school to, to go run, like I would feel so much comfort after talking with her, knowing that that would be who was coaching her. Um, yeah. And I heard you mention that, that because everybody listening, uh, Jess is from Australia. So like to come to the United States for college, like that probably had to be a huge, I mean, you're 18 years old when you come over for school, like that's a huge move yeah. at a young age. So um, talk about that decision to come over to run um, for her program. Yeah. So I came over and visited with my dad pretty late in the game. Like it was right before NCAs in 2015. So most recruiting is done in the fall, so about six months earlier. And um, to come over with Dad and met Marisa and kind of see what was on offer at the University of Oregon, I was sold. I was like, yes, I'm coming here. <laughs> um, so Dad had met her and Mum had talked to Marisa on the phone. Um, but once she – Mum moved me over there in the September ready for fall. And once uh, she met Marisa, uh, she came over to the hotel the next morning after we got there to kind of meet Mum and – make sure I was all settled and stuff. And as soon as mom met her, she was like, yeah, this is fine. Like I know, I feel confident that she's going to be like her mom away from home and uh, not just care about what I do on the track, but she cared about academics, Mm -hmm. how I was going as a person. And just, um, I knew that if I needed anything in the middle of the night, I could call Marisa. And that was a a definitely a a relief to mom to know that that was the the setup over there was I was going to be looked after. And it wasn't like she was just dropping me off and saying good luck um she knew that the whole uh, the support system around me was going to take care of me and that as an 18 year old and a, my mom I'm sure that was a nice thing to know when you're leaving your daughter on the other side of the world seriously I cannot imagine <laughs> do you have siblings I do I have a younger brother he is 21 okay and he actually has just moved away from home he moved um about three months ago now so but oh wait it must have been about four months because he moved just before I went to Europe so it was strange like he moved for work and uni and stuff and um then I was still at home so I think they kind of got a bit of a they weren't Mm. prepared for what was going to be once I went to Europe and then it was suddenly they had no children at home (laughs) so that was a bit different but now I'm back for a little while and um Declan had come home this past week as well now that we were, were all back in the country he came home to visit so I think they definitely enjoy that when the house is full again yeah where where yeah. did he move to is it far no it's a it's a four-hour drive okay just north. so yeah he can come home on weekends if he really wants to which he has been doing quite a bit at the moment still while he gets used to being away so yeah it's it's not far at all yeah not the other side of the world <laughs> no <laughs> no so what Tell me about the process of coming over, though. Like, was Marisa heavily recruiting you? What was what played into 
other than once you met her knowing like this clicks, this is the right program for me. Um, what, what was the process like for her recruiting you or you deciding you wanted to tour certain uh, colleges? Yeah. So I had, I'd had a couple of offers coming out of high school, but with the way the school years line up, we graduate in October. Okay. Um, so we graduate like one month too late to start in the fall of that year. So I would have had about a nine month period of no classes. Okay. Um, so I started university here because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I was like, I'll go to uni here and I'll just sort of see if I like it. And then if I don't, I can always look at the NCA after that. And um, so I did six months here, but I realized pretty quickly it was going to be hard to run at the level I wanted to and do college here when the professors didn't like um, team sport and intercollegiate sport is not a big thing here. Okay. So the professors didn't understand when um, I had qualified for the World Cross Country Championships in China and I was going to China for only five days um, and it was over a weekend. Um, but I was going to miss an exam on the Monday that I wouldn't be back for. And they didn't quite understand while I was going. I wasn't just going to China for a holiday. I was <laughs> I was going to race, um, race the World Championships. And uh, that kind of just showed me that they weren't going to be able to work as closely with me on like making sure I can still be a good student and a good athlete. So that kind of opened my eyes a bit more to looking at the NCA. And um, I'd been to Eugene for the World Junior Championships in 2014. And I, I got my first taste of Hayward Magic there. And <laughs> I think that was something that I was definitely very excited to have the opportunity to have every day. Um, so once uh, we kind of reached out to Marisa and seen if it would be an option for me to go there, and then it just went from there. We would just email back and forth. And um, I think because I popped up late in the game and um, there was a couple of recruits who had chosen a different route, um, there was it was an option for me to still join the team. There wasn't too many girls yet because we kept quite a small team yeah. the whole way through. And um, Marisa does that still at Washington. So there was, I was just lucky in timing again, I guess that everything fell into place and that I was able to go to the University of Oregon and, and start working out with Marisa and the girls there. So it just, um, it, it wasn't an immediate thing out of high school, but it, it took a year to get to. And um, that was, it, I didn't rush it and it just ended up being the perfect decision. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. I know I noted that she mentioned that in her interview that she keeps her team really tight and small for yeah. the reason that she feels like that's how she can best manage the team. And then I, I've talked to other college coaches um, like Diljeet Taylor, and she, she keeps yeah. her team like as big as it can be to give as many girls the opportunity to run on the team that can. So it's interesting to yeah. see what the different coaches decide works for their team. Yeah, the different dynamics. And I think um, Maurice is definitely like she's so hands-on in making sure that you're doing okay as a person. So mm -hmm. I think her keeping the team small is it allows her to have that relationship with us. Like she is constant communication, um, whether that's just checking in that you got that assignment handed in or that that exam was over kind of thing. Like she, I think keeping the team small allows her to cover all bases of our, our lives over there because she cares about you as more than an athlete. So it's um that's the recipe that works for her um what was the hardest part of of coming over here um I think just getting used to being away kind of away from home so learning to have structure and routine outside of my normal daily environment um kind of like you go from knowing everything around you to kind of having to learn 
everything around you. And um, definitely that was probably my first year over there was a big adjustment, just learning how to, to function outside of the family home, basically. So getting used to doing all the little things like making time for dinner and um, cooking dinner and learning all those things and how to incorporate it into your day. Whereas like here it was just done for you and you don't realize kind of how much time that takes up. So learning how to do that and then Definitely the school side of things was a lot more demanding than I was expecting. Um, here, university, you can do most of your stuff online. So you can do all your lectures online and you only have to go into the classroom for like one or two hours a week for each course um, for your tutorials. So going to a school where, um, which all schools over there, all your lectures are compulsory and you have like you click in with your eye clicker and they know that you're there, um, definitely just changed the the entire day basically instead of going from spending like two to three hours on campus a week I was spending two to three hours plus a day in a classroom so yeah getting used to that kind of stuff again and um, learning how to to study effectively uh, I know Americans definitely have a very high work ethic when it comes to studying and um, I definitely I liked that routine of going to uh, getting used to going like Sunday I would long run with my teammates and then all of us would find a coffee shop and mm. just do homework all afternoon. And um, it's definitely something different that I didn't do here, but I, I did love that routine and I definitely embraced it. And it's extra time that you get to spend with the, the people you're working with around the track every day. Uh, you, you do truly immerse yourself with them and just spend almost 24-7 together when you live with some of your teammates and uh, go through study patterns and all of that. Um, it was definitely a good thing to get used to, but it was – different to what university or high school had been here it's so wild the opportunity difference running in in college and university in other parts of the world compared to the United States like if you were to evaluate anywhere to run at the college level do you think the United States provides the best opportunity absolutely yeah Yeah. because they also with them just there's so many women and men that are equally as good like there's so much depth mm-hmm. over there that I think uh you learn to train at a new level you learn you've got access to all these recovery facilities mm-hmm. strength and conditioning coaches um but you just learn to race as well when there's so many people that are mm-hmm. as good as you there's no going out in front and time trialing <laughs> you're learning <laughs> how to compete and um, how to actually learn how to use race tactics and all those kinds of things that you can't really teach unless there's the same depth as there is in NCAA. You're not going to learn that kind of thing in a country where you might race against two or three women or something at the most. So, yeah, it's um, definitely the place to be if you want to get the set yourself up for the future pretty well. If you're if your plans are to be a professional runner, I think everything you learn in the NCAA is just so valuable to take forward. Let's um let's encourage some young runners because we talked about at the very beginning that process of building your career, you know, like building upon season upon season until you you get to those last couple years where you're really excelling and winning national titles. Um 2017 you yeah. place somewhere in the 90s at the yeah. NCAA <laughs> Cross Country Championships and then you place third in 2018. That's wild. What yeah. what developed differently? Did things start clicking? What were you and Marisa doing to um, develop those skills and become such a competitor up in the top three? Yeah, I think um, in 2017, 2016, I was in the high 80s. 
And I was definitely in better shape than that in 2017, but I got sick mm-hmm. late in cross country mm-hmm. season and it was okay. just, um, we were quite, we were small in numbers. We didn't have alternates that year. So I, I kept racing and I wanted to race and um, everything like that, but I was not very well. So okay. that was, I mean, I did make a big jump from junior to senior year, but in like in context, I probably was a little bit better than 90s in 2017 okay so I, it probably shouldn't have been as dramatic a jump it was just the circumstances but I was I was sick and I was um still sick at nationals so but yeah it was a it but was you were 60s the year before <laughs> yes yeah, yeah, yeah okay I, yeah yeah so it was uh I probably should have been in the top 40 in okay. 2017 which would have been it would have just looked less dramatic going from top 40 to the <laughs> totally the 2018 yeah yeah so, but it was definitely a, a process. Like it took me a lot of time to get used to the style of training and the uh, mileage and kind of things. And I think that's what we started to catch a glimpse of in 2017. And then I got the flu. <laughs> um, but then from then onwards, it was pretty much uh, from indoor. Once we came back after that Christmas break, it was uh, forward momentum. And uh, the cross country season kind of just really showed the growth that I'd had when we got third in Wisconsin. Yeah. How do yeah. you, um, how do you learn to trust your coach and the process when you go in, you know, as this young athlete and you know what those big goals and dreams are, um, down the road in the next couple years, how do you kind of, um, cultivate that patience and trust? I think just uh, really good communication, mm-hmm. like with Marie, so we could always communicate with her as to like why we were doing certain workouts or, um, why my volume was smaller than others or why I was doing less than others. And it was just like long-term picture that she had of, you don't need to do it all at once. And um, even just uh, reassurance from my dad, who he had coached me in high school, um, but he kind of termed it as, so here there's like a process of when you're, um, like if you're getting a trade, uh, you would do your apprenticeship for four years before you are able to do things without um without being watched like the whole day basically so he would kind of refer to it as like it's you're just doing your time you're doing your apprenticeship is like you're the younger one on the team um the older girls obviously were very successful I had Molly Grable and Waverly Near were seniors on the team when I was incoming and they'd just gone fourth and fifth at NCAs in the 10k the previous outdoor so I had women who I was like really looking up to in training and um just that was kind of the way I approached it was for the first couple of years here, I just need to do things right and don't skip any steps and eventually my time will come. And um, I think that's kind of how we were talking with the seniors that have the idea that senior season will be like, look like this. Um, I think I really embraced that from about my sophomore year onwards was it's just all a process and um, and Maurice can see where I'm going. Um, my dad can see where I'm going. My mom can see where I'm going. Like the people who matter can see the pro- progress that's being made every day and um we're working towards something bigger. So to definitely eventually get to share an NCA title or two actually with Marisa was, um, was very special. Yeah. Yeah. So then she leaves because she gets the job yeah. at the university of Washington. Um, and you're coached by Helen Lehman winters. Is that who it is? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, for that last cross country indoor and outdoor Helen is my coach. Yeah. Okay, so talk about how that shift worked with your running. And I'm sure it was difficult to to change coaches your last season as a college athlete. Yeah, definitely. And after having such a good relationship with Marisa, it was 
even more tricky, I think, because I was um, so invested in Marisa as not just a coach, but a person. And then I'd also, two of my teammates, who were my main training partners, Katie and Lily, had gone with Marisa. Oh, they followed her. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was just a, um, it was an adjustment coming back in, that's for sure. But um, I think there was two different approaches to training, basically, but there was a lot of underlying similarities, which made it an easy transition. Um, so rather than being like resistant to the change, I knew I had to embrace it because I know how powerful it is when you trust your coach. And I didn't want to kind of be unraveling my own performances by hesitating and not buying in. So yeah, I definitely just had to go all in and, um, trust Helen and build the team around me. We had two girls come from San Francisco. So we had the opportunity to kind of, I guess, create our new team culture in that cross country season. And set the tone for what would be the rest of the year. And we had four freshmen and two San Francisco transfers and then a new girl come over from Great Britain, Philly. So we had a, pretty much a whole new team under a new coach. So it was a matter of like the consistency between Amanda Garrick and myself and um, Rennie Kendrick. We kind of could cultivate the new team in a way, I guess. So we just kind of took that under our wing of like mm-hmm. we're going to make our, our team culture really good and we're going to see what we can we can do. And it's not what it looked like last year and it's not what we thought this year would look like, but we can still make it work. And um, that was definitely the way we took things forward and it, it worked because we had a pretty successful cross-country season that year. And um, Helen just like really bring to the table of like Marisa had – worked on this with me towards the end of like we don't put any limits on what we do Mm. um but Helen probably definitely bring that home every day she would always talk about that is there's no limits and um every day we just try and get a little bit better so it was uh, enough similarities that it was um it wasn't too hard of a transition but it was definitely hard kind of when you see Marisa and my old teammates at meets they'd be like oh I miss you guys a lot yeah um, it's definitely different but it was uh at the University of Oregon, they, they did everything they could to, to make it as seamless as possible for us. Did you even consider following or was it your senior year? So you thought I'm going to stick around? Yeah, I definitely considered following as soon as Marisa told Lily and myself, we were still in town when she mm. had decided to take that job. Um, we were both just so happy for her because mm. we knew the opportunity that it brang. Um, and at that point, it definitely, the first thing to come to mind is, okay, well, if you're going, I'm coming mm-hmm. too. Um, but then you start to look at like the realistic side of things and more, for me, it was more of a school based, mm-hmm. like an academic space thing is like, if I have one year to go and I transfer to a school that doesn't have the same program exactly, I'm, I'm not just looking at one year, I'm looking at 18 months or like two years kind of thing um so it was more of an academics it just didn't quite make sense for me and I knew that I could see them as much as I needed to as well and um I also the hardest thing for me was I couldn't imagine myself running in a different uniform like I mm. as much as like I would have loved to have continued to be coached by Marisa and train with Lily and Katie every day I couldn't see myself running in purple That'd be weird, yeah. <laughs> so I thought that it just, if it just didn't quite feel right like that, um, it just wasn't quite meant to be and I could probably adjust and just make things work at school. And if I if I had the opportunity to go pro after the next year and um, it felt right, then it was only another 12 months until I could kind of make that move. Um, so I was able to just figure things out. And I'm definitely glad I stayed a duck. Like I, I think that was 
um, it was, I was so proud to be a duck that I can't imagine kind of having changed anything up for just my last year there. I'm, I'm definitely glad that I, I stayed and I was able to finish off my career at Oregon. And um, I hope that it's been a, a small part in the, the history of the program that we've got because it's a very deep, deep, deep program. Yeah, I'm sure that you felt ownership in that leading that team too, like being the being one of the ones that stayed and and those new people coming in needed some someone to look up to. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely um it was I th- I think that I was able to instill like the pride that I have to be a duck into the newcomers mm-hmm. and show them like it's it's not just um another school, like it's you're running for the ducks and mm-hmm. that's extremely special. So um, yeah, I hope that that was passed on. And I think it was because uh, my senior year, we won Pac-12 uh, conference cross country. And we had been trying to do that since I was a freshman. And this year, my senior year, we hadn't put too much emphasis on it. We just, we were a new team coming together. We were like, oh, we just don't quite, like we have the pieces, but we're still eight weeks into being a team. Like we don't quite know what we can do. And um, I think that that was my first inkling that the girls had really bought into what it means to run for Oregon um, when they went out there and we put four of us in the top 10 at conference and um, we were able to come away with the conference title after four years of kind of really trying to do it versus like just letting our team culture run with it. And that was what we were able to do. So it definitely showed me that the girls were there to, to really make their mark as well. And um, that was taken all the way through to the spring when we had Susan and um, Carmela was runner up in the 10K. Like we just, we had a, a whole new stamp on the women's distance program at Oregon. That's so awesome. Hey, everybody, a quick break here. Get yourself signed up for the Donna Marathon Weekend. You can do a marathon, you can do a half marathon, you can do the 5K. There's a 110 mile ultra marathon distance. They have the booby trap challenge, which is the marathon and a 5K, or they have the booby trap challenge half, which is a 5K and a half marathon. So many different options. And listen, this incredible race supports the Donna Foundation which helps people who are living with breast cancer financially. They have a care line where they're serving people living with this disease every single day. And they're also funding groundbreaking research over at the Donna Foundation. I am so excited to do this race. This will be my fourth year doing it. We're virtual this year. And I personally am doing the half marathon. So if you're gonna do any other virtual races in the coming months, pick the Donna Marathon weekend because you know that your money for that registration is going to a really, really good cause. I have a virtual training group going on. It's called I'll Have Another Virtual Training. Um, People have been training for other races, but we're going to transition now to the Donna Marathon Weekend over there. We will be 12 weeks out from that race starting the week of November 23rd. So Monday, November 23rd, we'll start a training cycle for that. And I really, truly hope that you all can join me and be a part of this. So go to breastcancermarathon.com, use the code Lindsay5 and get yourself registered. This will be a great way to hold yourself accountable through these winter months that are sometimes tough to train through. So if you do sign up, make sure you tag me on social media so I can see that you're you're doing this with me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. You can also tweet me. I'm at lindsayhine over there. Uh, cool. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Jess Hole. I just want to hear about 
when you won the 1500 at the NCAA <laughs> championships, I, I've heard you say that was one of your most special memories in your, in your career. Yeah. So I want to hear a little bit about that race. Absolutely. That one was, um, it's probably the highlight of what I've done to date. Um, but yeah, it was just a really fun year with Marie. So we kind of just gradually, I ran a big PB early on in the season down at um, the Azusa meet behind um, Shelby Houlihan, Kate Grace and Colleen Quigley had raced and I was fourth behind those women. And I think that kind of was like mm. the eye opener to both of us. We were like, oh, we could be onto something. You're this racing year. pros. Then, um, yeah, yeah. And then uh, went to Pac 12s and I won a tactical conference 1500 and we were both kind of like, okay, like we've really got the momentum going into nationals now, well, regionals and then nationals. Um, and then the previous year I'd been run out at regionals. So to get through the regional meet was the first big goal. Um, and then once I did that, Marisa kind of just said like, this could be your time. Like, why not now? Um, we're not going to, I'm not going to tell you to run for second or run for third. Like you go out there and you just run like, um, and I just, I knew I just felt really confident. Like I would trusted the training we'd done. Um, I'd worked out with Lily Burden all year and Lily was running the five K at nationals. And we both just knew we were in really good shape. And it was just a matter of putting ourselves in it and, and going for it on the day. And I was, I had told Marisa I wanted to take the lead at the bell, but I, I couldn't take the lead from Ellie Puria. She was uh, holding the inside line and holding it really tough. And that's an incredible feat to her to be able to do that. And I, she still does it nowadays when mm. she's racing. Like she, she holds her line so well. It seemed very inspiring. Um, and then just, yeah, the last 120, I was able to get by. I think just at the same time it got lucky of Rachel tried to go by on the inside and it just gave me the opportunity to, mm. to go by on the outside. Um, took Eleanor's mind off me for like a split second. Um, and then just the Hayward Field crowd was incredible down the home straight. That was a pretty special moment to kind of look back on. And um, even now they just released a new video of it the other mm. day that I hadn't seen. And it was the crowd is just so loud. It's, it's crazy for a a collegiate final kind of thing um it's just it shows how special Hayward Field is to to distance runners and to University of Oregon students as well um and then yeah Nikki Hiltz was second to me which was kind of very cool too because she had been a duck for her first few years mm -hmm. as well so it, in a way like we went one and two um <laughs> but yeah to then be able to do the lap on Hayward Field is one of the last meets to be held there um and I was very lucky that uh if it being at Hayward Field um my teammates who hadn't qualified for nationals were there. Mm. So I got to share the process with them and my parents and um, Marisa on the, you get to do a lap if you're a winner at Hayward. So I got to see all of them on the lap and it's kind of just an accumulation of the people who made it possible were able to share the moment right then and there with me. And I think that's what makes sport so special is results are one thing, but being able to appreciate and share the process with the people around you is definitely what makes it more very much more special oh that's so cool yeah did you at that point were you already thinking I've got it in me to go pro or did that moment kind of seal the deal in your mind that it was possible and were, did, then did you start getting approached by people <laughs> I knew that I wanted to run after college um I definitely knew that I was going to come back for at least one more year like I wasn't ready to go out yet um because this is your junior year was, right yeah, yeah, my junior year. But there'd been a few workouts that year that um, like I'd cooled down with Lily and we were just, we were having so much fun and we were loving training so much that we were both just like in this bubble of like, mm. 
we'll keep running and then when we go pro we'll just stay under marisa and she'll coach us forever and all of this. <laughs> <laughs> so it definitely fed into that and then about a week later we knew that they were going to washington so that kind of just like deflated that do you think <laughs> but, she would do um, it anyway though like would would marisa oh, take yeah. on post-collegiate yeah. athletes you think i don't know that she would take on a post-collegiate group nowadays but mm. i think at that point mm. in time we just had such a a strong thing going that we were like this is perfect like yeah. we'll just be here forever you're never going to get rid of it <laughs> um, so maybe somewhere down the track but I think right now she's pretty focused on the group of women she's got at Washington um but yeah so that was kind of that season kind of kick-started the whole I want to run after college um and then kind of being able to win the NCAA title and then go on to more the next year showed me that I wasn't crazy like it was realistic to be able to run after school and um just yeah I didn't quite realize things were going to happen as fast as they did in the two years preschool but um wow. yeah definitely I wanted I knew I wanted to run I just hadn't really looked at too many options at that point in time because I was I knew I had a lot more eligibility left okay so I saw that Stephen Haas is your agent and you're signed with Nike yeah. um yeah. being coached by uh Pete Julian yeah okay yeah, so in Portland in Portland. So talk about the, that process and um, why you chose Nike, why you chose Pete as a coach and that group. And they, they're like, they don't even, have, do you guys have a name yet? Talk, talk to me about the group. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So there's nine of us on the team, uh, four women, five men and um, cover all ranges. So we have Raven and Donovan who run the 800 and then Seguru who runs the marathon. So we have uh, quite the range of athletes. Huge range. Team. Yeah, yep. Um, so I just, uh, at that point in time last year when I knew I kind of wanted to look at what was out there, I had got to know Stephen a little bit quite quickly after Nationals. And um, I knew kind of that that was a good option because I didn't really know where I was going to go as a team yet. So if I needed to go to Europe kind of solo, um, I knew I would be looked after by Total Sports. Mm. They've got a really good base over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of my, my thought process. I really clicked with Steven and they had the option to help me out in Europe if I needed to base somewhere. Um, and then, yeah, I knew Constance had run so fast that year and I just had seen sort of glimpses of her work ethic and uh, the strength and conditioning coach for my team now, Dave, also worked with us a little bit at Oregon and I would hear a little bit from him about the the training that Coco was doing and um or like just hearing about how incredible she was and I just kind of knew I wanted to train with her was my thought process I wanted to train with someone that was way better than me and hopefully I could progress to that level as well so that was the draw card and then just um once I chatted to Pete for the first time and I I knew it was going to be an option um I was that was again it was pretty simple process to be like yeah that's where I want to go um we just had to then make sure all the the moving parts worked like Nike wanted to sponsor me and um because we're just a Nike group so it wasn't a matter of Mm -hmm. like um I want Pete to coach me it was like well I would like Pete to coach me but Nike also has to (laughs) believe in me and want me to run for them as well so um yeah it just uh took a little bit of time to get to being perfectly set up but yeah from July 1 last year Pete and I started working together after Prefontaine um and then Shannon Roberry's on the team too right yeah yeah she's incredible she uh, just watching what she's done this year coming back from having Sienna and it's just amazing I kind of look at her and I think wow if I can be the athlete you are right now in 12 years time like 
I will be very, very happy with the way my career has gone. That's for sure. It's um, Every time she talks, I feel like I need to write down <laughs> what she said and take notes so I can keep track for the future. She's, she's awesome. Yeah, I always wonder about that, you know, because when I think about like the Bowerman Track Club, I think about what those young athletes thought about Shalane when they came and started running, you know, so it's like the people that have been in the sport and been competing professionally for so many years ahead of you that you're joining a team with. I think that's such a cool thing about the sport that you have these young athletes that you're kind of lined up with, you're newly professionals, but then you have these people who have been doing it for so many years that can give you all kinds of great advice. Yeah. And that's um, been really cool with Shannon too. Like she doesn't, um, like she listens to me too. Like we're kind of go back and forth in our communication. Like it's not just a one-way street of like, okay, I've been here, I've done this, this is what you need to know. She would like take on board what I was thinking as well. And she'd be like a very big comforting factor when we were talking about races and being like talking about pace and things like that. Like we, I hadn't been anywhere near before, but she would kind of give me a few tips and tricks to to restructure the way I was thinking so that I would know what to do once I got out there and I was in uncharted territory. Uh, But I've just been amazed at her willingness to share her experiences with me as like it's, it's incredible to have that like her as a resource and as a friend um like looking out for what I'm doing and kind of thinking about like the long term of my career now I'm like well if she's 36 running these sorts of times like I am going to be able to do this for a very long time and I think that's one of the things that I I aim for in this sport is longevity is I love it so much I can't imagine it not being a part of my day basically and um kind of seeing Shannon have such a career like long and successful career I'm just like that's the way I want to go and knowing that her process has been pretty similar to mine it it excites me to see where I can take it over time yeah you know I just interviewed um Sinclair and yeah yeah and it's it your stories are like sort of parallel in that you both gave up that last year of eligibility and went pro and running for Nike yeah it is it's actually crazy isn't it very similar yeah, what's that going to be like? I mean, you guys race each other on the circuit in the NCAAs, but now you're both kind of like venturing into this first real year of professional running. Are you looking forward to competing with people like Sinclair that you competed like head-to-head with in the NCAAs? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's actually it's really comforting to have a person that you raced against in the NCAA racing with you. Like my semifinal last year in Doha, Nikki Hiltz was in my semi and it was just a little bit of extra comfort when you're out there pretty nervous and um, like just watching all the moves happen around you to know that, okay, I've raced with Nikki before and now we're just doing it on a bigger stage. Um, It's kind of, it's, I'm really looking forward to seeing how like that transitions to Sinclair too. I'm sure that they'll come Prefontaine Classic or something where we're lining up together and it's like, okay, we've done this before. We know what to do. Like it just takes a little bit of the, the whole, um, the big stage away okay. from it you don't you don't get as stressed about it I think if you know a couple of people that you're racing so I'm sure we'll have a few of those moments to come yeah you're not just standing next to Jenny Simpson <laughs> no <laughs> we're both just standing next to Jenny Simpson. <laughs> oh that's so great okay so um what's happening now you're in Australia it, we we hit that you you um broke all these national records this summer so you were able to get out of the country and get some serious racing in which is awesome when are you coming back to the states 
I'm hoping to come back as soon as I can. Right now I'm waiting on my working visa to come through, which has been a work in progress for over a year now, but the consulates all closed back right at the start of March when COVID first hit. Mm -hmm. So I'm just waiting on the green light from them. So I'm not too sure. Like you can't schedule a date at the moment. Um, so I've just got to wait and see when they open things up. And um, it's okay. I guess I can do most of my training here. I think we sort of seen that this year is it, it does work when I am based here. But I would very much like to be back with my team as soon as possible. So I'm hoping to join them at least by January for an altitude camp in Flagstaff. So oh, cool. That would be, that's the absolute end goal right now is just to get there for January. But um, I'm not too sure what that's going to look like yet. Um, we're working on it. <laughs> so you're being coached by Pete in Australia. Mm -hmm. Your dad's helping you execute the workouts and everything. Yeah. 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 That's been, that was what we did this year. I came home in March when COVID first started getting quite bad because, um, I knew I was going to have to come home for the visa, but I, I was kind of delaying it as long as possible. And then our prime minister kind of said, if you're an Australian overseas and you want to come home, you need to come home now. Wow. Um, so I did. I was like, okay, he's getting serious. I, I think I need to go back to Australia. And um, yeah, I just was able to make it work from March onwards till I met the team again in August in Europe. So we got it. We got it done. It's not ideal. It's definitely different. It makes you realize how much behind the scenes stuff Pete does when it comes to setting up workouts and getting pacemakers and kind of having to figure that piece out here and finding boys that were willing to pace me on the track in the mm -hmm. middle of their cross country season and um, stuff like that wasn't always easy, but we, we made it work. And I think um, the hard work and the, the, it gave me a more of an appreciation for what Pete does. And um, it was good to go overseas and have, the results come through and show me that it was all it all worked well and it was all worth it so yeah it paid off when in march do you remember the date of your flight home i think it was like the 22nd or the 23rd oh so we were yeah. like it things were swinging like yeah it, things I were tried already to, yeah yeah i had actually intended to come home the week earlier um i went to la and then when i landed in la mom and dad were calling me and they're like oh you should stay put because if you come home now, you have to self-isolate. And it was so new in that, mm -hmm. that process that we didn't quite know what that was going to look like or what it really meant. Of like, I could do it at home at that point. But it was like, well, if I have to self-isolate, mom and dad have to self-isolate because I'm in their house yeah. so they can't go to work. Um, so we just kind of were like, okay, I called Pete and he was like, oh, we don't want to do that because I was coming off my break. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be confined to a treadmill for 14 days. Yeah. Um, he was like, come back to Portland, we'll figure it out, we'll see what things go. So I went back to Portland for another week and things just kept getting worse and worse that following week. Uh, Australian Airlines, Qantas and Virgin were like, we're grounding our fleets until June at that point. And wow. I was like, well, if, if they're grounding, not many airlines are going to go to Australia from now. It's like our Australian Airlines aren't going to. So I was like, I need to go home now and I just need to do the quarantine at home. Mm -hmm. um, and I was lucky that once I got home, I could still do it in my house. But by a week later, it was the hotel quarantines were in place. So that's, um, I just finished my hotel quarantine post-Europe. So I spent two weeks in okay. a hotel in Sydney, just, um, just by your, all by yourself. <laughs> all by myself. Yeah. Just, uh, that's the process right now is if okay. you return to Australia, you go into a hotel for 14 days and they test you three times in that 14 wow. days and just, um, 
make sure you don't have COVID before you're allowed to go back into the public. So I definitely understand it after traveling in Europe and going through a few different airports, you kind of see you are around a lot of people yeah. and you just, you don't know where they've come from or what they've done. And I was, it was great that I didn't get sick whilst I was away or I didn't have the virus at all when they tested me in the hotel. Um, but I can definitely see why it's implemented because there's a lot of people in close quarters around yeah. the world. So yeah, it's a, not ideal for us, but it's necessary. Yeah. Okay. So I'm so curious. You were in Sydney in the hotel for two weeks. Were yeah. you able to like go outside at all? What did that look like? I mean, I, mean, I can't imagine being confined to a room for two weeks. Yeah. So for me in Sydney, I couldn't leave the room at all. Wow. I, I was lucky. I had a really big window that got a lot of daylight. Um, the other side of the hotel probably wasn't quite that lucky. Um, so I could kind of sit as close to the window as possible and feel like I was at least getting something um, of the outdoors. But uh, no, I couldn't leave the room uh, at all. But there are a few, there's four Aussie distance runners right now in Brisbane and they're allowed outside time each oh. day. So they, they flew into Queensland and they could, um, whereas in Sydney we're just, just hotels. So, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely different. I think the first week went kind of fast because you're just getting over jet lag. And mm-hmm. in a way it was good to have that time to just totally get over the jet lag. Um, but by that day 10, I was like, okay, I'm really ready to go home. Oh, my <laughs> so, gosh. Yeah. But I also knew when I left for Europe that I was going to have to do this. So I had my head wrapped around it. It wasn't like totally a shock. Yeah, totally. Okay. So I have a couple of more questions about this. Yeah. (laughs) How did you eat? Like, are you eating food at the hotel? Like you have to order room service or what? They, so they give you three meals a day, um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they just bring it in like a brown paper bag and they leave it at the door and then they knock and after five seconds, you're allowed to go and get it. So okay. that they've had time to get away from the door in case you had COVID. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was, and it was pretty good. Like most of the meals were, everything was pretty healthy. Like they were quite balanced. And um, I think that was to do with the hotel I was at, which I had heard more horror stories from different places that the food wasn't that great. Um, but for us, they they tried to do it pretty well. And um, they, if I didn't like something, I would just order Uber Eats kind of thing. Oh, um, you but could do most that. of the time... I could do that, yeah. I could yeah. order food in, but uh, I would say 85% of the stuff was, was pretty good. So we were allowed to order groceries. So I did like a Coles supermarket okay. order and just like got the basics that I'm used to having and um, all of that. So I was, able to, I was able to keep it pretty normal, but uh, it's different when you kind of don't know what you're going to get for dinner. Yeah. Day. Like you kind of open the door and you're like, what is it today? <laughs> um, it's a bit strange, but it was kind of uh, kept the days interesting, I guess, when there's not much else going on. It's uh, wow. kind of a nice surprise. <laughs> okay, so and obviously you were coming off racing, so you like were good for the yeah. rest. But like, you're obviously also a very active human being. So were you like yeah. doing push-ups in your hotel room or what? I kind of let myself have the first week of just um, if I felt like doing something, I would. But I was like, well, I'm on, also on my break, and I don't want to go ruining my recovery <laughs> right. by being like, okay, I'm stuck in this room. I need to do this. Um, so I kind of just let myself go and feel that first week and did a lot of yoga and um, just a, a few light core sessions. Uh, and then the second week started to get a little bit more into like, okay, if I can at least try and do core and some band work every other day, I'm going to feel better when I get out of here for that. But um, I've definitely noticed. So when you're in the room, like it's 10 meters 
long, probably maximum. Wow. So <laughs> it's quite small space to be walking around in. So I definitely think um, I've paid for that a little bit these first, I've been out for eight days now, but wow. I feel so tired at the end of the day. And I think that's probably a big factor is like I had two weeks where I probably didn't have anywhere near as much movement as I'm used to. Mm -hmm. So then now, like when I've tried to add back in running and um, even just walking around more each day, I think at the end of the day, I'm pretty tired. And that's just probably why is like I had two weeks of not much and then I've gone back to normal. So yeah, I'm just going to spend the next week or so out again, um, kind of getting used to just being back out in public, I guess, and wow. going about my, my normal day. What a wild experience. Who would have I ever thought? Were you, yeah. I'm also curious, were you scared flying back um, when like you didn't know what was going on? And at that point, obviously now on an airplane, everybody has a mask on. You can't not wear a yeah. mask. But like, were people already like hardcore masks when you flew back? Well, so it was quite strange because I had come back for a week in February to run the 5K. And at that point, it was super fresh. Like it had just kind of started, the news was starting to break about it. And um, I would say 10% of people had a mask. And I actually had a mask because Pete had traveled the week before to Tokyo for Suguru to run the Tokyo Marathon. And he kind of said to me, you need to have a mask. Like this really? thing's going to get serious. Oh, wow. And so He was ahead if he was saying that in February. He was, yeah. Yeah, he was watching it all kind of break. And um, I kind of, from there, I, I had a mask. And mom had, dad had driven down to Melbourne and met me the day I arrived. And mom flew down the morning of the race because she'd had to work that week. And she said she was quite surprised to see a few people at that point had masks on. Mm -hmm. And they were just traveling from Sydney to Melbourne, which is a very short flight and it's not really a typical Australian thing to kind of be ahead of the game. They, everyone here would have downplayed huh. it for as long as possible. Uh -huh. um, so to see people kind of like at that point in February wearing masks, it was like, wow, this could get really serious. Um, and then I wasn't too scared coming home in March because I was like, well, I know I'm going home. So if I, if I, if I get sick along the way, I'm, I'm going to be at home at least. Um, I was, I didn't want to get, the virus in terms of running because I, I knew there can sure. be long-term damage totally. so I'm like okay I'm gonna do everything I can but I tried not to be afraid of the flight and then um I would say the one that made me most anxious was going to Europe in August because I was like I had been confined to my bubble here like I'd only been around mom and dad and my brother and my boyfriend and just like limited people in Australia and then going to the airport to get on a plane and being around people like so many people I was like wow this is kind of scary it was like I haven't been around this many people for months so I think that was probably the first time I kind of felt a bit anxious about it but um it just kind of had to adapt and be like well if I do everything I can if I wear my mask I I use the hand sanitizer and I've done everything I can to not get the virus if I do get it I at least can't kick myself that I should have been better at doing those kinds of things so I was like well that's just how we're gonna have to approach Europe this year is yeah. just take all the precautions and um know that way then that if you did pick it up it it wasn't all entirely your fault you'd done as much as you could to try and avoid it so yeah just uh one one flight at a time yeah uh you just got engaged didn't you yeah yeah just congratulations yep. thank you thanks yeah what's <laughs> that uh, where does he live? Yeah, What's you, going on? 
He is Australian um, and he lives like 15 minutes from my home here. So, yeah, we met back in 2016. My best friend, through my best friend, um, she also, she plays hockey and he plays hockey. So, yeah, through through them in 2016 and it's been nearly four, well, four years and then we've been engaged for a couple of months now. Wow. So is he going to stay in Australia when you come back to Oregon? What's happening with that? I think for the time being, kind of um, at least through Tokyo and possibly even through 2022, because things are so jam-packed, mm-hmm. um, I think we'll probably just stay doing distance and um, be around as much as I can. Um, but after that, and then probably we'll look into getting married at the end of 2022, and that's when I think we'll we'll look more into being both of us being permanently in the States. But for now, I think um, it's especially when we go we're not actually at home very much in Portland we're either at camps or over in Europe racing I think for now it works kind of okay to have he has his job here and work he works here so um it's okay for us to kind of do a little bit of back and forth for the next little while and then sort of see what it looks like after we get married that's nice though that you've had this long I mean as as terrible yeah. as COVID is for everything it's it's a silver lining that you've got to spend so much time together yeah yeah it's the longest we've spent in one place together mm-hmm. um earlier this year when I was here training before we went over to Europe so it's been really nice that way so um added bonuses you've always got to find the positive in the situation and that's definitely one of them this year was being able to spend more time with Daniel and and my family so yeah it's been a different sort of year, but not what I thought it would look like. But uh, in a way, I've got to be very grateful for that. Yeah. Okay. So um, correct me if I'm wrong, but were you selected for the Olympic team this summer? Yeah. Yeah. Our 5K was officially counted. Okay. Because they had to figure out what they were going to do with um, the trial was ran in 2019, uh, 2020, sorry, for the 2020 Olympics. And they were trying to figure out if that carried over. Okay. Um, and then they decided in the summer that it would carry over. So they named five of us in August, end of August. Yeah. Um, so how does that work? They name, oh, cause do they name th- like three female and two males or something like that? Cause you only get three they, people on the team, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what they actually did was they just named one of one woman in the 5k. Okay. So that was me. And then they named, uh, Stuart McSween in the men's 5k cause he'd also won the trial and had the standard. Um, and they've also named him in the 10K as well. So he, he's on the team for both of them. Um, and then Jemima Montag, one of our 10, 20K walkers. And same with Dane Budsmith. He's one of our walkers. And okay. then Kelsey Barber is a javelin thrower. And she won in Doha last year. So even though we haven't had the trial in the javelin either, her her gold medal in Doha was proof enough that she belongs on the team as, okay. as she should. Um, so the five of us were named in August in the first round of selections. Okay. That was very exciting. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So there's more more people that still have to be selected based on their performances. I I guess I just, I I am assuming most listeners as well don't understand the Australian selection process. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So what do these other people, like, so you're named to the 5K team for sure. What do places two and three have to do to be named to the 5k team then yeah I'm not entirely sure what I know they if they run the standard they can be selected but I'm not sure what they're going to do with the 2020 um so if this coming year so 2021 
5K national title. Um, potentially, they might say if you win that, you'll also be named automatically. I'm not too sure. We're just waiting on criteria for that to come okay. out um, to see. But yeah, it's one first place for the 2020 nationals was a guarantee if they had the standard. Okay. So I assume that is going to roll over and just be first place at 2021 national championships with the standard is a guaranteed selection. So I'm not too sure yet. It's uh we're waiting on the final criteria. Sometimes it's hard for the Australians to truly understand the criteria, <laughs> let alone the rest of the world. <laughs> okay, that yeah. makes me feel better because I'm like, why am I finding yeah. this so confusing? So you're still going to try to make the team in the 15 then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would definitely like to try and make the team in the 15. Um, I think that's if there's a if I get a say in what I run, I would love to run the 15. Um, I'm sure Pete and I will both have a, a discussion about it. But um, I think, yeah, the 1500 is the one that I would like to kind of lean towards next year. So I've still got to take that big step of actually getting selected for that. Why do you uh, prefer the 15 over the 5K? I think the, um, the 5 in Monaco definitely showed me like I can run fast in the five but the recovery was the crazy thing that I was um it took me like nine or ten days to really Mm. feel good again after that race and I think uh, the fact of maybe having to run two of them at that pace or faster in three days Mm. for a heat and then a final I'm I'm not too sure if I'm ready for that yeah I'll be 24 I don't know that that's um I don't know that I have enough miles in my legs or anything quite yet but I also know that if that's the way that Pete's leaning. Um, I'm sure that what we do in the next 10, 11 months will have me ready to do exactly that. But right now, I think that is a pretty daunting idea of uh, trying to run <laughs> two of them <laughs> in that short of time. Trusting the coach. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that is so, so exciting. Yay. I'm so excited for you. And um, just, it's it's just crazy that you know, the Olympics would have come and gone already. And now we've got this whole year and you get to do it next year. So, um, it's hard to imagine what the year would have looked like, you know, if it was normal now, like it just, it doesn't make any sense in my mind. I'm like, okay, I can't see what it would have looked like. Yeah. It's wild. Um, well, thank you so much. Let's wrap up here with some end of the podcast questions. Um, what is something professionally or personally that you would like to do that you haven't done yet? Well, professionally, I would like to become an Olympian. So I haven't done that yet. I'm, I'm on the team, but until I've crossed a finish line, I don't think I'm truly an Olympian. Um, and then personally, it probably sort of ties in a little bit to running, um, but I would love to kind of have some sort of like young athletes camp in a way, uh, whether that's online or Australian based or what I'm not sure and it wouldn't be anytime soon while we're dealing with COVID but I would definitely like to work to get something like that off the ground in the near future next few years um I think it's important to kind of give back to Mm. to the grassroots especially here in Australia we have a pretty good little athletic system and I I enjoyed it and that's definitely been my foundation for why I still run now so I'd like to kind of have the opportunity to give back to them eventually when I I'm established enough to, to get something like that off the ground. And, um, yeah. Are you excited to cheer for the Ducks 
post. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're not. Always. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, always. Um, I love, I keep up with all the results, whether it's the track team or the football team, the soccer mm-hmm. team. Um, yeah. I, I love to kind of see what they're doing and um, yeah, follow along. Always go Ducks. <laughs> That's awesome. What's an accomplishment mm-hmm. you're most proud of? Um, probably the 2018 NCAA 1500. Um, that one just always stands out. And then from most recently, probably a bit of recency bias, but the 1500 Australian record in Berlin, that one, that one was the one I was gunning for for quite a while. So yeah, to get that done is a, a big, big achievement. Yeah. And that was four flat 42. Yep. Yep. Almost under four. Not quite. You're going to get <laughs> there. Year. Yep. You'll be there. Yeah. That's awesome. One year at a time. Yep. What is uh, the best, most recent book you've read? Did you read good books when you were locked in your hotel? Yeah. So I read um, Anna Mears. Her book, uh, she's an Australian cyclist and she has an autobiography now and it's called Now. Um, so I read her book. She's a, She's the only... Australian athlete, man or woman in any sport to win a medal at four consecutive Olympic Games. So that was pretty insightful. I really liked that one. Wow. Did you also uh, binge watch any terrible TV when you were in the hotel room? (laughs) No, you know, I actually did not watch Netflix at all. I was kind of, I was shocked myself. But um, I think because I hadn't been in Australia, like I was just, um, like even just keeping up with the news was kind of exciting Oh sure. (laughs) Um, in a way we had a kind of a lot of things going on um in the politics side of things that two weeks so it was kind of uh interesting to watch that I'm not into politics at all but I think I was just at that level of boredom that I was kind of intrigued by it it was kind of almost like watching a tv series drama Uh, uh because it can be pretty dramatic but um yeah I kind of just watched the news a little bit and um kept up with reading and all those kinds of things. I didn't binge watch Netflix, which I, I think is uncommon for those of yeah. us who have been through quarantine. <laughs> I can't imagine. I honestly can't imagine <laughs> being stuck in a hotel room for two weeks and not getting a really good show to just binge. Yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed. No, mate. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, who is someone fun, motivating, or inspiring that you'd like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? Ooh, I think if I was having coffee, I would love to sit down with Serena Williams because I just think she's done so much in sport herself. I would love to even just have her recollect all of her accomplishments mm-hmm. to me. Um, but also she's done so much for uh, outside of sport, for women, for people of color, that kind of thing. I think um, she'd be very interesting to listen to and pick her brain. I, I think questions would just come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. She'd be so awesome. Um, and then lastly, what is your one message to send to the world? Um, just be positive. You can always find something positive no matter what it what the situation feels like. So, yeah, positivity and, and smile. And you smile <laughs> the whole interview. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much, Jess. I appreciate you coming on the show and just learning more about your story. And I'm so excited to cheer for you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It was great to talk. All right. Thanks, everybody, for being here today. Thanks, Jess, for sharing your story. Check out Gooder. Go get yourself some holiday shades. Get get festive or grab some holiday shades for the friend in your life that needs a little boost. That's a great gift idea. It's an affordable gift idea. 
Go to gooder.com slash another and use the code another. Uh, yeah. And don't forget to sign up for the Donna Marathon. Definitely join me this February for their virtual race. You all can find Jess on social media. She is Jessica A. Hole over there. H-U-L-L. Give her a follow and let her know you're cheering her on. Exciting times ahead for her and her new pro running career. You can find me on social media. I am LindsayHine626 as well as Twitter at LindsayHine. And I've got a Facebook page and a group over there as well. Don't forget, I started a parenting podcast. We're having great conversations over there. We're nine episodes in now. Well, Tuesday, I think, will be episode nine. I've had dietitians, parents talking about connecting with their kids, science projects with your kids, simplifying your home. That's something that I am super pumped about. We recently had Miranda Anderson on the show, and she talked about simplifying your home. It was so, so great. We also have some conversations on body positivity and so much more. So check that out. It's called Why Is Everyone Yelling? And we've got an Instagram page for that as well. All right. I am truly grateful for you all. And I hope you have the best Friday, a wonderful weekend. And as always, we'll see you next Friday.